0: On this week in sales, we're going to be looking at new research that shows that being honest about price leads to bigger deals. And who would have have thought that? We're going to be taking a look at how Microsoft is coming after Salesforce's CRM dominance. And we're going to be looking at fractional management and a whole lot more as well. And so with that, Victor, how are you, sir? And what's changed since this time last week?
1: Not much has changed. A lot of activity online, uh, doing more
0: webinars and presentations. So that's a good thing. Uh, Let me see. What else is going on? Not much, Will. How about yourself? Same thing, mate. I'm just head down in content. I will tell you off the air, but I've got a project that's going to be launching in January, and so I have to basically create a new piece of content that for uh, for that every day from now until January, hundred odd days for it to to it launch successfully. So we'll announce oh, that on wow. the show in in the not too distant future. But yeah, just head down creating content. That's how it is. That's how it is. In this market, you have to create a lot of
1: content. In fact, I told somebody I said if you're not creating. I don't know. What would you say, Will? I told somebody, if you don't have at least, I don't know, a hundred pieces of content online, you're not even at the ballpark
0: yet. I think Would the, you agree with that? Uh, I, I don't know about the number, but I think a another ob- that's one objective way to measure it. Another way would be to, if you can't Google your name plus company, and at least your LinkedIn profile comes up at top, and then hopefully a few other links that describe work that you've done <laughs> or this or that, then you don't exist. Because there's no point in having a hundred pieces of content that nobody cares about. I guess you only need three or four that Google cares about. But, but point taken. Well, point taken. But clearly, a hundred pieces of content, one or two is going to shine out there, and that's what's going to get into the uh, the Google search engine. Yeah, I should have qualified. I should have qualified that with quality content. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm st- we're, we're still working on that between us and Victor. Well, it's the- yeah. up to the audience whether this is quality or not. But with that, mate, let's jump into it. And the first, the first bit of news here, I thought this was an, an incredible article, right, and an incredible <laughs> bit of research and maybe we can uh, play a bit lightly here with some of the, maybe there are used car salespeople or car salespeople listening to this, but research at the University of Texas has recently found that the more honest the salesperson is, as indicated by the true invoice price of a car at the beginning of a negotiation, rather than trying to fob off pricing until the very end of it, leads to bigger deals. Is, is Is this news, Victor, or is this just common sense?
1: This is common sense that is now news. So common sense isn't so common, I guess. But there it is. That's a, it's an interesting study. Well, it's it's a reaffirming study for those people who think they have to bend the truth or bend the arc of the truth just to sell. So I think that's a good. That's good news.
0: Yeah, we. Uh, my partner bought a. I, I think we talked about the mini fiasco that we had uh, a few months ago. My partner bought a Skoda at the end of that, and i When when are, the... what, what are we going to
1: meet this partner? Are you ever going to bring her like online uh, and say a couple of words or? No, Not she's really.
0: totally against being she's a doctor so she doesn't want patients to see her or identity to be linked to this or anything like that if that makes sense um so right. hopefully that makes sense because she doesn't want to get say something daft and then get sued on the back of whatever else she said so so unfortunately not victor the real question is when are we going to see victor's dog on camera Oh, not! She's in the cage this morning. I put her in the
1: cage because she ran up here last time in the studio, so I got her in the cage. I mean, the audience would but, rather hang
0: out with your dog than my my girlfriend, mate.
1: There you go, there you go, two cuties. But anyway, so this research—how did you come across this research? By the way,
0: I googled in inverted commas "salespeople" in Google News, and this is what came up. That's how I find. I don't know how you go at finding your news sources, Victor. But that's basically what I do every Wednesday afternoon to, to build up All some right. of the show. No worries. Uh, so, go on, I'll let you keep, continue reading it's some good stuff there. So, the research has also found, according to the old theory of negotiation, as a seller, mm. you would never want to sacrifice the lowest price that you're willing to accept, um, but that's all changing the new paradigm of information asymmetry. I like that term. Um, mm-hmm. I've, not heard, I've not come across that before, whereby the salesperson knows far more than the customer is breaking down. Clearly, if you're buying a car, you're watching reviews on YouTube, you probably Uh, I don't even probably, uh, nine times out of 10, you're going to trust a car reviewer to do a review, especially if it's a smaller YouTube channel, Top Game, or these bigger channels might have other incentives to get people on people's good sides with regards to car reviews and things like that. But especially if it's just someone who just bought it, you can get a really unbiased review. um, So I don't think that's unreasonable. And most customers already know the invoice price before they walk into a dealership because again, it says here that they've done the And this said very specifically, they've done their internet research. So people aren't ringing up dealerships and, and trying to negotiate on price before they go in. They're not trying to ring up dealerships and trick sales people into sharing the pricing. It's just on a spreadsheet online that you can download. And when we did this for Emily's um, Mini and Skoda, there was literally a, a list of air conditioning. Well, they all come with air conditioning. Heated, heated windows, windows, um, Folding wing mirrors, all these optional extras were all listed as a list price online. So we knew exactly what we were going to look at and what we were paying. And we were just trying to get a little bit more discount on top of that. So should this be the way that sales should have been the whole time, Victor, that we know the price and we're negotiating, I guess, value and extras as opposed to just trying to whittle that price down?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because you know I've always loved the, uh, the, the phrase information asymmetry. It's like when... One of the reasons customers used to go, let me think about it, or still go, is because there exists that asymmetry, and I like to look at this height, right? You know more than the other person, and the gap between your knowledge levels is too much. Mm-hmm. And our job as salespeople is, we always say, eye level is by level, right? Which means you have to kind of get at the level of the customer so they can understand and feel comfortable, and you get the symmetry going. So I love this. That, that, that old paradigm has now shifted where the customer comes onto the lot, has about... 90 to 95% of the information they need to make a decision, which means that we have changed. Uh, you know, if salespeople haven't figured this out, I, you're, you're just an idiot at this point. <laughs> because customers, you know, there's more smart people walking down the lot. What's also interesting, I did a uh, presentation for, oh, I want to get this so raw. It's NADA, the National, Associ- National North American Dealer Association for Cars. And on average, today, before the internet, you would actually visit three to four dealers. Yep. Today, you visit like 1.2 dealerships. Well, essentially one dealership because you know what you want. You go to the salesperson. This is what I want. I looked it online. There's a spreadsheet. I know what the price is. Let's not mess around. Give me what I want. And I think if you build that confidence, there's something subtle that was said here. They they tend to spend more Mm -hmm. if they trust you because you're not trying to
0: sell them. You're meeting them right where they're at. So I like that. Yeah, and I totally missed that. So I appreciate you bringing that up, Victor. But if you go in knowing that you're going to pay this price then you've got the opportunity to sell and explain the value and uh, add that extra level of insight that perhaps you can't get from uh, just consuming content. You can have a conversation over it. And so you've got an opportunity then that the baseline's been set, the buyer's coming in with, we want this, this, and this. You then got an opportunity to upsell them versus, I guess, if you're coming into the conversation as uh, just totally open, you feel mm-hmm. like you feel like you're uh, you need to be defensive, so you want to hold back on the on, on what you want to spend, and you, you don't want to be open with your budget, and so it's got to be more difficult to negotiate as a on the side of the car salesperson at that point. Uh, you, you I I just see that I just feel like you're making by not sharing price clearly and openly. I feel like it's just making everything more difficult and and extending the maybe people have to go to or maybe pe- people did go to three or four dealerships in the past because they couldn't trust that the price was the price. And so they were only doing that to price shop, whereas now people don't have to.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's. think about how great this is for a salesperson. The person's walking on the lot already spent, let's just say, $30,000. And yep. they've already spent the 30000 I don't have to sell them thirty, As you've pointed it out and well said, you just have to upsell them some differences if it's possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know about you. It sounds like a good
0: layup to me. Well, and you've got the person coming into the dealership. If they've come into the dealership. They want to test drive the car. They're they're pre qualified. They've done all the hard work for you. Maybe sales (laughs) is evolving in that maybe you need to be, depending if you want to be the the best sales car salesperson in the world, maybe you need a YouTube channel where you're doing reviews so people come and see you because they want to trust you. Maybe that's where things go. Mm. But if you're just in there for a a job and this perhaps isn't even a career for you, you want to do it for five, ten years, you don't want to be doing it when you're 50, 60, 70, 80, then... Sales just got a whole lot easier with the internet.
1: Oh, I, I, I'm I, going to make a prediction because okay. you know, I like making like predictions on this show. My prediction is that salespeople will become customer service people, that that the, the selling of cars will be commoditized, just like a giant vending machine, like mm-hmm. what is it, Carvana or something, you drop the big coin and you get your car, and people will do the research and decide what they want to buy. That's my prediction. The era of the salesman, the greasy slimeball salesman. Is about to come to an end.
0: Yeah, and and I read this this week. I didn't put it in the doc uh, to discuss, but Tesla have had a bumper quarter and a bumper year, and all their orders are done online. Even if you go into the dealership, you just deal. You're buying from an iPad connected to their website. Mm-hmm. That is it. I, so,
1: I, but I just got to highlight, you know, the fact that you use the word bumper like that. No pun intended (laughs) in a car, but they have a bumper, like a bumper crop. They got a bumper sales. Got it. I got (laughs) it. Okay. Okay.
0: (laughs) Love it. Love it. Right. Well, some more predictions here and this time from Forrester, who probably more informed than humbly what me and you are, Victor. And they Mm. say, B2B sellers are going to deepen their buyer relationships with help from AI. They said that as if- AI is a real person that's going to come along and, and, and do some of the work for them. I, I, the, the language that they've, they've used in this article is very much like that. And they're, going to, they're saying 60% of B2B sellers will be enabled by AI and automation. And 57% of B2B sales leaders told Forrester that they plan to make deeper investments in tools with AI and automation in the next upcoming fiscal year is this again is this news or is this just common sense because I feel like you can't buy anything a toaster has AI now and it's predicting how brown you want your toast (laughs) Uh,
1: I don't know how to answer that one how brown you want your toast (laughs) that's funny so, you know, look at it here. You know, B2B sellers deepen buy relationship with the help of AI. I think we already knew that. That's what sales enablement platforms are for, to kind of nurture the relationship. You know, this stuff is becoming so complex that I think people are becoming, inside salespeople, for example, you know, sales development reps are becoming, you know, managers of platforms. And what they're doing is engaging via email once in a while a voicemail. So, yeah, we're going to use AI because we can't manage the mix anymore. And so this is nothing new. But I, again, I go back to another prediction we've made is that the salesperson is transforming into more of an inside salesperson with the residual, maybe 20% still going out and meeting with the
0: customer. So yeah, this makes total sense. And, and just to wrap up this point here, it says <laughs> sales tools that capture and automatically upload buyer and seller data to CRM systems will finally take sellers out of the data entry game. Now, I've been working in sales now oh, at least 12 years and I've heard that statement or something along the lines of the n- new revolution in CRM, this app or this product is going to stop salespeople having to waste time, input data into the CRM. And it's, it's never materialized, right? So is, is that the first step in all this, Victor? Because I feel like just ticking, genuinely ticking that one box, it relieves a huge amount of time for salespeople, but I've never seen any company fully achieve it yet. Have you, have you seen this in action? Yes, I have. It's been done. On, on several levels. Uh, one is
1: now is that you can, I was looking at a software package called DuckSoup. You know what DuckSoup is? I know the name, but I've not dove into it. So, so DuckSoup basically, can basically scrape information off of LinkedIn on the contacts you want, right? Reach mm-hmm. out, make the connections. You can automate that like with a robot. And so that information can automatically be fed into the CRM. So now you don't even have to put in that information that's the difference. Now, let's look over at Gong, one of our favorite companies, right? Gong.io. One of the interviews I did, and I forgot the company, and I don't know if it was Chorus.ai or one of those companies I interviewed, where, and I mentioned this, that they said only 5% of the conversations make it into the CRM. Gong is changing that. So now, you don't have to put your notes into the CRM. Gong's going to do it for you. So, I think we're getting close here, Will. I think you need to drop your cynicism at this point. <laughs> I think we're getting there, man. I, they're getting closer. I think they're getting more efficient at it and they're finding ways to do it.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I can see that, especially from someone like Gong or Coruscant AI. They have the data and the technology to do that, but I'm still slightly skeptical. I still would have to see that fully in action and to trust it to have the right insights without me having to look over it especially if it's an important meeting that I've just had I still don't mm. feel like I'd trust AI to get everything right at this point I'm happy to be proven well, yeah. wrong, though uh,
1: by the way I was only making the argument they're they're getting it in sure. there yeah. I didn't say you can trust the results of the predictions that's a very good question right are they really right so yeah that's part of the learning you know the learning machine the machine learning rather
0: and, and on CRM here David do you use a
1: CRM system pipe drive simple CRM yep. basic I don't have a lot of my stuff is inbound will
0: mm-hmm.
1: not outbound so something simple like you know pipe drive works for me.
0: Yeah perfect. I, I've used Pipedrive in the past. Um, the the one that we always recommend is copper.com um, that's uh, other than you know, Salesforce HubSpot, for all the big enterprise mm-hmm. all the, the larger size things we use copper.com to manage all of our guest bookings and to keep back and forth on the, I guess, outbound oh, okay. there and then the inbound of people requiring uh, kind of information and things. It works very similar to pipe drive of you have you know every dashboard and you can have you know proposed guest and then confirmed guest meeting booked. And then we use it for managing the content after the fact as well. And We just slide people along until the show as the person who's been on the show gets an email and then everyone's happy. So that's how we use right, uh, you- Copper as a CRM. Y- y- you sold
1: me. I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it, to be honest. So I'm gonna look into it because that's exactly what I need to happen. I'm not mm-hmm. doing that with PipeDrive. So
0: and that's o- it's all built into uh, and on top of uh, Gmail as well. So if you're using Gmail or if you've got an enterprise Gmail account, it all works seamlessly. And uh, so there you go. There's a see, free plug for copy. Look, the the added
1: benefit of being <laughs> on the show with Will Barrett There it is, folks. He just learned something once in a while. That's good. I didn't know that.
0: Good, good tip. man. Well, Victor. From AI seemingly solving all our problems from Forrester, tell us what you've you've put in here of, oh, of maybe the flip my, side here's of
1: it. my t- yeah, the tidbit. Companies are rushing to use AI. Drama, but few see a payoff. So a study finds that only 11% of firms that have deployed AI are reaping a quote-unquote sizable return on investment. The report comes from the Boston Consulting Group and MIT Sloan Management Review. But here's one key point. They continued experimenting with AI, even if in the initial project it didn't yield a big payoff. Most successful companies learned from early use of AI and adapt their businesses' practices based on the results. This is obvious. Among those that did this the most effectively, 73% did see a return on investment. And that's because I don't think people understand that AI is not a tool you just plug in. Yeah, it has AI. But to leverage AI is another thing. So use AI, one thing. Leverage AI, another thing. And a lot of these companies probably have to hire you know, data scientists to go through the data and adjust the algorithms to their business model, which goes back to your point, right? Can I trust the predictions?
0: And a lot of this, tell me if I'm right or wrong here, it must be based on company data as well. So even if you're not massively ROI positive in Q1, you might have now collected data that you didn't have prior that will make you massively profitable in Q3, Q4, or five years from now when you can actually leverage some of that data. Yeah,
1: one of the challenges a lot of companies face, and I, I think of a large, I think uh, one of the examples I saw was Wayfair, which is a large furniture company. Yep. And then you think about the number of SKUs that they have, multiply that by the number of options and you know features that they have. It's how do you get the data into the machine in the first place? I think that's the biggest hump. It's how do you take your unstructured data, got your structured data, and then jam it into the system and then you begin massaging it and fixing the data so you, the AI system can actually use it. So there's some steps in there. I mean, we're oversimplifying this thing, <laughs> but, I th- but I think we are grossly over- oversimplifying this thing. Just, but, you just put no, it
0: in Victor, there's, there's a yeah, box it, and yeah. stuff happens, it comes in out the the,
1: out, uh, black box, right in the middle, a black box, <laughs> it just goes in and out. Uh, it's a big question mark in the box, but that's the problem, right? It's how do you get the data in? How do you structure the data? And then how do you begin to run your algorithms and
0: you know your parameters in the data to figure out what it is you want? That's tough. And here's, I've never really thought about this before, and I, there will be no answer to this question, clearly. But if 73% are saying that they see returns on investment after a period of time, they've experimented with it, well, what percentage of B2B deals do you think ever lead to ROI? Again, we can never answer this question definitively, but if that, if that number is only 50% of B2B deals actually leads to ROI, then AI is looking great, isn't it? Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's... I don't
1: know what to say to that one. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's how much they're willing to invest. I think, again, I go back to the statement about that 73% that when you look at the investment required, not the money investment, the infrastructure required to build out a real true AI system. You know, uh, you have to have you got to be a big company to do that. Yeah. Other than that, if you're a small medium-sized business, you're just using you're just using plugins for and sure doing his best, you know,
0: for sure doing what you can with AI. Well, with that Victor, company I feel like I'm doing all right in the transitions here. With that Victor, with companies growing, mm-hmm. tell us mm-hmm. about VanillaSoft and their latest acquisition.
1: Holy bucket. This ought to make Daryl Prill very <laughs> happy. Uh, he's, he's now, what is it? The Chief Revenue Officer? CRO. Over at, yep. he's a C, he used to be a CMO. Correct. Now he's a CRO. That's what happens when you get promoted. Uh, laterally, you just change one letter. <laughs> Hopefully, they changed one number in his pay bracket. Uh, big shout out uh, to our friend, Daryl. Uh, so, AutoClose. Uh, Vanilla Soft buys AutoClose. By the way you gotta love the name auto close i don't even have to do anything it just closes by itself auto close launched july 2018 this is amazing now this is only two years old a little over two years old here launched in july 2018 with the idea of helping salespeople automate their email outreach prospecting engagement and reporting efforts recognized in 2020 ranked amongst the top 100 fastest growing products and the top 50 sales products by g2 in 2020 uh, the acquisition will create a synergy. Don't you love when they use that word all the time?
0: I was just about to say, Victor, <laughs> Daryl, I don't think Daryl wrote that because I don't think he would use that <laughs> sentence in yeah. that phrase. The acquisition will create a synergy of our
1: technologies and <laughs> resources, making themselves a one-stop shop for SMB sales teams. Now, again, we've predicted this well. We're just geniuses on this show. We're, we're self-proclaimed geniuses. And we said there's going to be, there's so many technologies coming out there doing the same thing that you're starting to see a consolidation, mergers, acquisitions. And this is just another, you know, uh, uh, interesting note. I, I, I would have thought, though, that Vanilla Soft had this feature. So I wonder what it is. Maybe we need to get Daryl on this show and ask him, what is it that AutoClose has that made you want to buy them? Sure. That's what
0: I would want to know. Look, it could be the same features, but an underlying technology. It could be mm. that you know they're acquiring that the staff and the team, and they want those minds on board as well. Uh, I didn't see any numbers being floated around, so it's difficult to work out whether it's an, a- an acquisition of talent or an acquisition of technology and patents and that side of things. Um, but yeah, it's definitely going to strengthen VanillaSoft, mm. and um, you know because they've got some stiff competition in this sales enablement space. Well, you, you, it also might be a third option. You pointed out two very
1: good options. The third option may be they're buying a customer base. Sure. Yeah. Maybe auto closes into a customer base. They want that customer base to increase their portfolio. So interesting. Interesting. Let me
0: ask you this, Victor. I, I'm not, I've, I've had, we can talk about this off air as well, because I've had a few of these conversations. But do you see, for example, if I was Vanilla Soft, whoever, one of these sales enablement companies, I would want to buy a sales training organization. Maybe not um, uh, you or I. Maybe a a bigger staffed organization with with offices or whatever. I feel like something like that would add way more value. Or, or I don't know the context. I'm not talking about this the vanilla soft acquisition in, in specifically here, but a acquisition of sales training when your customers are sales, your end users are salespeople. If you build that into a product that could be an incredible value proposition mm-hmm. for a, a hiring manager when you're doing email automation or inside selling or outside uh, selling mm-hmm. uh, enablement or tools do you see i don't know we could come up with 50 different training organizations mm-hmm. that could be acquired do you see like that be a, a, a potential um, uh, a potential source of acquisitions in the not too distant future i don't only because uh, i would say no
1: only because if you look at it from Now vanilla soft plus auto close, right? So I need to train my salespeople. What am I going to train them on? Okay, you can make some argument that some soft skills, some first principle skills like communication, sales conversation, discovery questions, all that wonderful stuff. Those are basic things that every salesperson needs to know. But what they really need to train them on is the actual tools that they're actually using and to effectively reach out. And then I would think that they would want to do that internally because their data is going to tell them what email sequences are working, what email content is working. And so that's why I don't think that would be a good move. I would rather do it in-house based on what my people are seeing. But again, the soft skills, which are always, are never going to change, constant, constants, right? Right. Uh, maybe, maybe, but I think I would do that internally.
0: Sure, I, I'm not kind of opposing views here. I, I trust your opinion on this a lot more than mine, but I just see. I'm guessing. If, if and I'm I'm just uh, guessing as well, Victor. But I see. I could see someone like um, you know Outreach one of the, one of these big boys who play this game. They've got tons of funding. They could buy a sales training company that has, has a brand. So there's value in that brand and that association, right? Mm-hmm. And they could say, hey, we're sending all these emails. Mm-hmm. We have all these cadences. We have all of this data. We will give you best practice advice from a third of the industry, because that's the amount of emails that mm-hmm. we're sending on behalf of, of B2B organizations. And then if you're trying to compete with that, and you've just got the tool and they're saying, well, we've got the, the tool, um, perhaps the premier tool in the space, and we've got all the data, and we can give you insights and access uh, and access to this data that no one else has via our internal sales training organization. I feel like that mm-hmm. would just be, you know, it depends on price and stuff and, and how we align it. But I feel like that could be a, a, a value proposition for a, a sales leader. I can see that. I can see that. I can, in other words, let's
1: just use Vanilla Soft creates their own sales training program to help its existing customers use their program more effectively. It's almost like a services they provide. Yep. Yeah, I would do that, but I'd, I don't know if I'd acquire a company, I'd still build the assets within the company. But I would buy a training company, if I was Vanilla Soft, if I wanted the customer portfolio. So sure. let's say that every, so let's say for example, I mean, look at Forrester. Forrester bought CEB because what? The you know, Challenger sale was embedded everywhere. Why not buy that asset? It wasn't so much the challenger assets itself it's the fact that they were so entrenched in all these companies it was perfect fit so if they can find a match like that i would do it got it
0: are there any sales training companies
1: that are that that big i think there's a i mean the biggest one i mean hathway still is a big one that was spin selling originally yeah uh let me see i've heard of the richardson group there's a lot of them you know every year the top 20 or top 30 sales training uh, companies you know flip flop and change but, you know, every time I look at those studies, I go, well, how did you arrive at that conclusion, right? Because it's kind of like, you know what I mean? It's, there's all these top 20s, top 30s. You know, I, I've just ignored them after yep. a while. You know, i got to be honest. I, you know, I look at the top three and say, okay, who are these three? And say, okay, they're probably good trading companies. I think it's it really depends on the market. I think the best sales trading companies I think that you can positively say these are very good are those who focus on a specific vertical. Like if you're in the technology business, you sell technology. If you sell residential, you sell that type. But you know what I mean? Those are the best trading programs in my
0: book. The ones that are more focused on niches. Yeah, got it. That makes total sense. And yeah, yep. I think you were being. I think you were pulling your words, pulling your punches a little bit with these top twenty lists, then Victor. Because and I'll give you my and the audience is my mm-hmm. opinion on them. I get offered to go on them all the time. As long as I will link to it and have it on my homepage, which obviously I say yeah. no, and then I don't. I don't end up linking in them. Oh, don't end up ranking in them. Most of them are just an opportunity okay. for marketers to get links on websites.
1: Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree with you. In fact, I'm gonna go one more. Okay. Uh, the, the lists are crap. <laughs> you know, these, you know, they, they are. I mean, I look at these lists, they ask you to link back to them. Yep. Uh, sometimes they list, my, my favorite is when they list experts or gurus, you know, when they, especially when you know a few of them. Yep. You know, you're like, really? Really? You know? And so it's almost like, no. Uh, I saw one where they talked about uh, reach. Like you know, reaching salespeople, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, influencers in, in the sales space, and I know what your numbers are, and you weren't on that list. Mm-hmm. And I saw other people on that list. I go, I know you're nowhere near Will, so how are you on that list? And that's I, I've, I've learned to discount these lists. Yeah,
0: and and a lot of it. Look, it's you can set up a linkedin page, you can spam links to the page, and you can get lots of likes on there. But is that mm-hmm. the equivalent? And I, clearly, we are both into podcasts. Is mm. a a view on a random blog post the same as someone listening to URI Rabbit on with a guest for an hour? Clearly, right. there's a there's a different relationship and a different um, kind of level of value being shared there. But we, will, I'll, I'll get off my high horse on, on that front for a second, <laughs> and we'll get on to what I think is the most important uh, topic of this week. Microsoft oh, here comes. Microsoft here comes. Here comes. makes here comes. a CRM a priority in a bid. To challenge Salesforce. That was the head of this article from cloudpro.co.uk. And let's touch on that. And then I want to touch on, Victor, if we can, something that was mentioned in the article of essentially the strategy that Microsoft are using here. So is Microsoft capable, I guess at the starting point, capable of battling with Salesforce? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, when I was doing research
1: for the book, the SalesX Machina book, I looked at their program and what they had. And I, I don't know what their market share is, but I, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna guess, six to eight percent of the market share, the CRM market share where well, I think Salesforce is like 34 to 40, something in there, right? Sure. And so, but I was always thinking, I said, why aren't they making this a priority? Why aren't they going after Salesforce? Salesforce is proving the numbers are there. So some genius over at Microsoft might say, uh, duh, uh, maybe we should make it a priority. I mean, what happened? I mean, yeah, this should have been a priority years ago, like maybe four or five years ago. So that would be my statement.
0: Yeah. And look, I feel like all they've got to do, they obviously own LinkedIn. I don't know how separate and how... Um... Well, that's... that's... <laughs> I, I, I don't know how. I don't know how much uh, you uh, like. Or to, I don't know how separated LinkedIn is. It, I don't know if it has its own bubble, own funding, and stuff like that. I have no idea. But all they've got to do is oh. put a Microsoft CRM ad at the top corner of every LinkedIn page, and they will get tens of thousands of people. If it's a free trial, tens of thousands of people sign up within weeks. Never mind years. Okay, assuming that you and
1: I are not the smartest guys in the room, <laughs> okay. let's assume that first. First thing to Which assume. Is an easy yeah. Assumption. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I got to be asking myself: Do these guys know something we don't? Like, why didn't they figure out Microsoft buys LinkedIn? I want to be King Kong. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Why not slam those together very nicely, tightly fit them, and begin? I mean, is there is there some type of antitrust thing they're worried about? What do you think might be behind
0: or might have been behind their hesitation? That's that's I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, well, was LinkedIn a public company before it got acquired, or is it a privately owned company? I have no idea. I think it was privately okay, owned. Okay, so that solves a bunch and, of problems, right? Yeah. In which case, maybe it's just infrastructure. Maybe, and clearly LinkedIn has had a massive uh, period of growth over the past uh, six to 12 months with everyone working from home. The numbers on there are have grown at an insane rate. So maybe they... You know, when you're onto a good thing with increasing in traffic and, and page views and attention on the site, maybe they don't want to rock the boat just quite yet. Maybe they want to let mm-hmm. it grow, uh, mature a little bit more, and then implement some of this. But it's, it's, yeah, it does seem like a no-brainer.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think what might have happened, have, having worked for a big technology company with multiple divisions, is that sometimes your sales force is stretched, your resources are stretched, that you try to give everything time and the effort gets diffused and maybe now they're saying, hey, wait a minute. See this one right here? This little thing called the CRM. (laughs) We might wanna push that harder than all the other things. And now we're gonna make it a quote unquote priority. So Microsoft, way to go. Waking up, smelling the coffee. Or in your case is what? Sipping the tea,
0: good. Uh, Sipping, uh, not much left, a bit of chamomile tea. And and on that front even, Microsoft and the Office Suite has sponsored the Salesman Podcast and Salesman.org before. I've never spoke to anyone over at Microsoft CRM. So there's definitely wires getting crossed and opportunities not being met. And, and you, you kind of teed it up there nicely, Victor. This is a, a quote now from, um, from Microsoft spokesman, Frank Shaw. He said, Microsoft engages executives throughout the agreement and renewal process. And we routinely check in with salespeople <laughs> to make sure that they're exploring Dynamics 365 and the power platform prior to each deal's completion. So it seems like as, we, as you talked about at the top of the show um, <clears throat> a bunch of times, they've got a customer base. They're now just trying to sell what they've got to that customer base. And so is this going to be a slow burner, Victor, or is this just going to be uh, – are we going to see just a massive implementation of the of the CRM in the future? I'm, You know, I'm, st- I'm confused. Only I'm confused because if you see
1: the growth of Salesforce, it's not like it's something that's br- been going quietly into corner. I mean, it's, it's a behemoth. And so the fact that they're now going, hey, you know what? Let's really focus on that. I'm wondering, what took you so long? But it, it could be, again, it, again, efforts were diffused. Let's just give them a break. Let's give Microsoft a break here. Efforts were diffused. Maybe their company was too siloed. Mm-hmm. That's also a big problem, right? You got a lot of silos in there not talking to each other. And finally, somebody started to tear down some walls and says, hey, Let's make a play. Let's let's go after Salesforce. Let's see if we can take down Goliath. <laughs> I love I, lo- I love battles like this. I, I but, love it. But I it's love. like
0: Goliath going against bigger Goliath, who just hasn't been focused on smaller Goliath just quite yet. Yeah, that's all it is. Uh,
1: <laughs> so so we're gonna call it, we're gonna call Microsoft David. Let's keep it consistent. Sure. David versus Goliath, and let's see what happens. We'll keep track on David. Well, so right ma- now, Goliath is killing it.
0: You mentioned uh, antitrust just then as a, a potential reason why uh, LinkedIn and Microsoft haven't just fully integrated uh, their product and platforms just yet. So that leads us on to Google getting sued.
1: Wait a minute. I want you to read the comment for the folks listening to this, what you wrote underneath the link. Just go ahead and read this. Read the, you know, right here. I'll highlight it for you. Read that yeah. right there.
0: Yeah, I'll, what, I'll, read this, that? I'll read this word for word so you can see behind <laughs> the scenes of what me and Victor go through uh, prepping for a show. <laughs> This shit is about to heat up. We called it. Microsoft LinkedIn is just about to start taking a uh, CRM a whole lot seriously. I think we got it right again, Victor. I
1: think. Uh, who would you, Who would you bet your money on long term, Victor? Okay, I'm still saying, I'm still saying, long term. That's an interesting question. If, yep. if, if long term horizon is five to ten years, Salesforce. If, if If horizon is twenty years, Microsoft.
0: Okay, and I I, I framed this question in the doc of. They're both public companies. Who would you invest your stock in? You've got 100 grand to invest in stock. It's been gifted to you by great auntie Doreen. She loves CRM, so it has to go towards a CRM. Would you put it into Salesforce or would you put it into Microsoft? Even though that's a bigger bubble, right?
1: Right. Uh, so here's my 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 answer, my cop out answer. Short term, Salesforce. Long term, Microsoft. Yeah, that's how I
0: would going. go all in on Salesforce long term.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Microsoft yeah. failed okay. too
0: many times at doing too many things. And Salesforce seemed quite focused on, on what they're doing. And they seem to be, you know, they know what they're in good and point. they want to just dominate it. So I would go hoping for a huge ROI on my stock investment and my portfolio. I would go for Salesforce. You know, that, that's a good point. I mean, you know, historically speaking, Microsoft's
1: going to hate us for this in a long <laughs> bit. But, you know, sometimes you wonder how focused you really are. And, and some of the product development rollouts eh, have not always been the most successful. Yeah, well, and then Salesforce it is in their lane. You know what I mean? They're in their lane and they're going for it.
0: I don't know if you've seen this recently. Um, I've not had it on my computer, but one of my mates had it. And he was, he was asking me why this happened. Microsoft are forcing an update... So then, put, so your computer, if it's on, so my computer's in the office here, the, the Mac and then the, the computer that does all the editing and rendering of videos and stuff, they're just on all the time. They never get turned off. Um, they should probably be turned off once a month or so, but they just they just never get reset. Well, my, one of my mates owns a, um, a media company to create and edit loads of video content. They had the whole office turn off the other day as Microsoft uh, forced an update and it wasn't a security update. It was very literally an update to push... Um, the web apps of Microsoft Office into your start bar. So they see like, they, they feel like they own your start bar and they can push essentially an advert to it. And they reset all of his computers mid rendering. It's a rendering farm, the are producing stuff for um, maybe not Hollywood films, but de- certainly advertisements, TV adverts and, and short films and stuff like that. And he went mental. So, you know, that's yeah. why I don't always trust Microsoft at a high corporate level. They do get things wrong. Ha- have they not learned their lesson Have
1: we not seen what happened to Apple when it loaded the U2 album on everybody's, remember that? And you kept seeing this U2 album, like, why is this in my, you know, like, who is this? And people got irritated because it's like, why are you loading stuff into my platform? Anyway, speaking of getting sued, horrible transition, (laughs) but here it is. (laughs) Google is being sued. No, say it ain't so. The giant, the Justice Department has sued Google for allegedly... Breaking antitrust laws as it undercut competitors to maintain its status as, again, what you were saying, well, gatekeeper for internet search and advertising. The department says the Alphabet-owned company, who controls at least 80% of the search, pays mobile phone manufacturers carriers and browsers like Apple Inc. Safari to maintain Google as their preset default search engine. According to the Wall Street Journal. The suit is the biggest US challenge to tech company over its dominance in two decades. So this whole thing about the default search engine, is that I mean, do you
0: is that a problem for you? Mm, it's not a problem in this case because Google doesn't require you to sign in to use it. Now, if mm-hmm. Facebook was the default page on every um, web browser when you turn it on or if you had to do or if they had their own search engine you and they were pushing you through that well you have to you have to sign up you have to uh, acknowledge that you're going to get your whole internet life and data just torn away from you and, and given to Facebook in exchange for you know the service that they're providing well Google will yeah. provide a service for free and they're still tracking you mm. but they don't have as good data if you're not logged in and you're not using Gmail and things like that so mm. no it, is it, is it not just capitalism? Are they not just the highest bidder? And so that's what they the, the, the get I to choose these so. things?
1: I, I think there maybe that, that line of demarcation has to be drawn. If I'm not being forced to sign in, I can just download something else, Firefox, Chrome, whatever it may be. What's, what's the big deal here? So maybe there's more to this than what we're we're seeing. Maybe there's some nefarious stuff going on in the background that Google is doing that we're not hearing about. So something's going on. I don't think just the Justice Department will go after Google for something... I don't want to say that shallow, but at this level.
0: So it's slightly different, for example, with um, Apple. So Apple preload apps onto a phone that you can't remove. So I don't think, for Mm -hmm. example, you can remove their podcast app, even though you don't have to Mm -hmm. use it, but it's there. Um, I feel like that's slightly different because if I bought a piece of hardware, you don't own the software, you're only licensing the software, but I own the hardware Mm I should be able to have an alternative. This is obviously going through antitrust at the moment and going through the US Mm courts. I should be able to have, if I bought the hardware, an alternative way to put apps on it. There should be alternative app stores that uh, you know, the Apple app store takes, I think it's 30% cut of all the developers' Mm -hmm. uh, revenues. So you can only price things in certain ways to get it on there. It's one of the reasons why we don't have an app. We used to have an app for our our training product over at salesman.org. It just cost too much to to mess around with because of all the cuts that Apple took. It was just not profitable to, to run it anymore. Um, so I feel like I feel more strongly about something like that versus a a page that I can just click and change. That, I if agree. That makes sense. I
1: agree. My my biggest pet peeve very quickly is uh, I bought one of those uh, Amazon Fire tablets. Yep. And I can't figure out how to take the advertisement off the front. Every time it goes to sleep, I turn it back on. Wake it up, there's an advertisement. I'm like, are you kidding me? I can't get rid of this thing. I feel violated. I figure yep. I bought that piece of real estate. That technology of real estate is mine. I should, like you said, determine
0: what house is put on that thing. So on that front, I don't know about the the US, in the UK, you have to basically pay more to ha- not have ads. So they do, I know on Kindle, it's like another 10 pound more on the original purchase price and they don't put ads on or you can have it cheaper if you want the ads. I don't know about the fire or uh, the US market, but I've got a similar thing with my Samsung TV paid like hundreds and hundreds of quid for this massive telly. And in the bottom corner, there's a little advert for some crap that I don't want to see. And then I Googled it and got even deeper into it all. And Samsung, that we're going completely off topic here, into just privacy laws and and an invasion of, uh, seeming invasion of privacy, even though clearly we've had to sign up to terms and conditions to accept all this, to use the service. They monitor what's on the telly. So they're not allowed to monitor what websites and things you go into or what channels you're watching. But what they do is monitor the images on the screen. This is the loophole they use. And then reverse engineer that back to the original content. And so they know what you're watching, when you're watching it, when you're awake, when you're asleep, when you're in the house, probably whether you've got children, because there's kids TV shows on. Um, the, the, Samsung are pulling all of this data as well. So it's not just Samsung, Apple. Uh, it's not just Apple mm. and Google. It, it's everyone's at it.
1: And by the way, that that's pure AI running on there. They yep. can take an image and find where it came from, so...
0: Anyway, moving on. This is some interesting news. Share. So this is just a quick one. Anyone who's using Zoho CRM, they are giving away their free remote sales office for the rest of 2012 to help virtual sales teams. And so that's just a quick shout out. If you're using Zoho CRM, there's some new tools that you can get free access to. Well done,
1: Zoho. Well done. Well done, Zoho. Well
0: done. Well done. Uh, I, I, I don't think we've ever mentioned them on the show in, in five episodes. So there you go. There's the plug for Zoho. There's probably, how many CRM systems do you think there are? We could probably Google this, but it's got to be thousands, isn't there?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, the number's up there. I don't know if thousands, but I mean, I used Zoho like years ago when they had their uh, when they first tried it up and it was actually a good free tool to use. You know, I just got away from it, but you know, it's, it's a good company, good products. Cool. Okay. All right. Victor. All right. Victor. What the heck is fractional management? You know, I came across this article and I was like, fractional management. And then I started reading it and here's what it is. A fractional sales manager is, outs- is an outsourced sales manager hired by a small company. Working for several small businesses at the same time, fractional sales managers earn the same ways as if they would work full time, but small companies cut their expenses by sharing the resources. Interesting, and I came across this because there's a company called Sales Acceleration, uh, spelled sales letter X, dot com, that hires these fractional sales leaders, it's like a franchise, right? They go out and do training, but this concept of fractional sales management—I mean, this is nothing new, by the way. If you have uh, uh, different agents reselling your products, you know they they represent ten to fifteen different lines. Sure. So this is kind of a different way, but. I mean, do you think it's effective, Will? Do you think that strategy is
0: effective, having a fractional sales manager? Honestly, I have no idea. I feel like, we're going to talk, I'll talk about it very quickly in a second, of Sales Geek have launched their first series of franchises, but they're sales directors. I don't know if I want fractional sales managers, but if I'm a small to medium-sized business and I can't afford a sales director or VP of sales, maybe I would go down that route and have my time shared with them but a manager you, you've got enough things to do as a manager never mind doing it across multiple <laughs> brands i
1: i you know i think it's an interesting concept for small medium-sized businesses i think more small businesses that can't afford as you say to bring on a you know a vp or a director but i have a hard time believing that a manager can really go deep into a product line for 10 to 15 different companies and really understand the markets. I mean, we have a, one manager has a hard time with one market space with their yep. products. I can't imagine one person trying to manage 15 different businesses.
0: Yeah. You know, unless there is some really sophisticated software and, and tools and, uh, you know, there's a management consulting element of this where there's a real framework that they're using and everyone agrees on all of this. Then, yeah, mm. I, think, I think it's going to be quite difficult. Or maybe if they stayed within the same market niche. What do you think? Well, then you, know you, I mean? you, you might be gonna... representing competitors, right? And then you've got all kinds of issues there. Point taken. I defer to your question <laughs> on this one. <laughs> I, I, I defer to, uh, I, I have no idea. But with that, I just want to give a quick shout out to SalesGeek. They're based here in the UK and they've just launched, the, as we're kind of, I've alluded to there, their first your sales director solution nationally. Um, I see their content on LinkedIn all the time, so I just wanted to give them a quick shout out. And moving on from that, Victor, Netflix is not growing as fast as what it once was. You know, uh, it's always the big debate, right? I don't know if you have the big debate at your house, but we have
1: a big debate here. Uh, It comes around every two or three months, which is Amazon Prime or Netflix. Should we get rid of one of them. And so, so far, we still have both of them. So right here, the, uh, the announcement is that Netflix added 2.2 million subscribers in the third quarter, compared to 6.8 million in the same quarter last year. Now, right there, I find that number interesting, because I thought that number would have bumped really high, given the pandemic. Right, You think more people staying at home want to watch Netflix. It's reported, it reported though, $6.44 billion in revenue up from $5.25 billion a year, according to Backset. So their revenues are up, which means they're somewhere else they're getting their revenue stream. And I think it's part of the film industry and the licensing industry, because they can become a giant you know distribution for Hollywood channel.
0: Yeah. And I just Googled it, I don't know if you can hear me type in then, uh, audience listening to this, but one in three people in the US already have Netflix. Mm. So if we, I don't know, it doesn't say, oh no, it does say adults. So one in three adults in the US already has Netflix. Mm -hmm. So then if you chunk adults into individuals who, uh, I don't know, 70, 80, 90, who just don't want it or people who can't afford it on the other end, maybe they're just reaching the market saturation in in that demographic, in that market. Could be. By the way, they also, I think, raised their prices
1: by like two bucks yeah. in, in the US here. So two bucks a month more. I forgot what the numbers are from twelve to fourteen or fourteen to sixteen, something like that. So maybe that represents the increase in revenue as well. So sure. maybe I don't know. Maybe it's part saturation, maybe reaching a point where people go, you know what? That monthly subscription is fifteen dollars, sixteen bucks might be not worth it. Maybe I'll just go with Amazon Prime. So it'd be interesting to compare Amazon.
0: Sure. And I wanted to quiz you on this. And Amazon, I don't know about, the, again, in the US, Amazon in here in the UK, I think you have to pay, I think it's 80 quid. and You get free delivery, Amazon Prime Video, Amazon Prime Audio, all these things bundled <laughs> together. So it's not quite a, a, a kind of software subscription or a monthly subscription model. So I don't mind paying Amazon 80 quid a, 80 quid a year for that service, mm-hmm. but I'm constantly battling with my, with my girlfriend, my Misses, because she wants us to get Netflix. And I don't want to get it, not because I'm being tight, because clearly... 10, 15 quid a month doesn't matter. But we don't need more crap to watch. It's just uh, an overload of choice. So that's why I'm trying to avoid it. But Victor, do you feel like we're getting to a point where subscription models and subscription-based services are becoming more and more of a burden on on people? Whereas five years ago, they go, oh, it's only 15 quid. I'll, I'll get on that. That's cheap. Whereas now everyone has so many subscription services. Are we being more selective with them?
1: I think so. I think we've reached subscription fatigue by now. Because you know, even I was looking at a little application to run on my Instagram page, right? And it was, I'm going to say, like, I don't know, like $6 a month. But you have to pay annually, right? So sure. what is that, 92 bucks or something? And I'm sitting there debating. And I go, why am I debating for $6 a month? This is not a lot of money. But what's in the back of my mind is all these other subscriptions yep. that I have. And, and so it wasn't the price. It was like, oh, another subscription that I got to keep track of. So how many, by the way, how many subscriptions do you think you have? Top of your head.
0: So, uh, and this is what I wanted to kind of push this question down, are we talking personal or, or business ones?
1: Anything, anything that costs you. So per-
0: Any, personal, oh. I pay my car insurance um, monthly and and that's basically it. I pay for everything else upfront, just cash where I can. Mm. Um, uh, my partner pays the Amazon subscription. Um, I'm on my brother's Spotify, so I don't even have to to pay for that. Mm. And uh, yeah, I I I hate having a month. I hate having a a chunk of cash come in from you know dividend from the company or you know my my, the the small salary that I do pay myself each month. And I hate knowing that it's just going to be eroded. I'd rather just set aside budget and pay for things in one go. So I am not a good case study on my personal side of things for subscriptions, but on the business side. We probably spend like a grand a month on different subscriptions and and Premiere yep. I do premier software and and everything that we use. I'd still rather pay for a, a one off license, but there's not many things that you can do that for anymore. Correct, correct.
1: I I think I pay about got I got if I off the top of my head six seven hundred dollars easily a month yeah. in subscriptions, and that's just part of the plan. All right, my friend, did you see the uh, cool gadget I highlighted here? Out of the 100 coolest tech gadgets for 2020, I thought this one was <laughs> awesome. This kind of, uh, A treat-tossing technology for only 249 bucks, The sleek Furbo dog camera has Wi-Fi connectivity, which allows users to keep tabs, uh, tabs on their pets via smartphone app. It's also capable of capturing or streaming full HD video via wide-angle lens, because if you want to see your animal, why not see them in wide-angle lens? And the gadget can also, get ready dispense treats so you could at a distance go hey fido you deserve something here
0: you go would you get one Well, so i know we're kind of making light of this but have you (laughs) seen any of the studies the animal behavior studies on products like this
1: no i have not so this is funny
0: this is really well researched victor and it can help with animals um what you call it? The, uh, like social separation anxiety. A lot of dogs get it when um, you know. You, obviously, you do a lot of work from home. I'm looking for a golden retriever and just can't get my hands on one, and it'll be following me around. It'll be sat on the desk for most of these episodes and the content I produce. Obviously, a lot of people will have dog walkers come in and out and help out or friends and relatives if they're at work nine till five. But a lot of dogs and animals have loads of essentially psychological issues. And this has been shown to relieve a ton of them so it seems like a it seemed, yeah. So it seems like a stupid like joke product. But there's lots of like tons and tons of animal behavioral research um, that goes behind it. The real question is, Victor, would this work for a sales team to have a remote sales manager <laughs> robot walk around and, and throw Mars bars or stickers bars at Mar- salespeople's heads when they do well?
1: Well, when they do well, they spend some coin, right? Like <laughs> gift <laughs> there card you or go. something. Yeah, just, something just more print a prettier. check. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, we'll if you get
0: one? Let me know. I will. I, I will definitely get one. Uh, I just need to find this dog. The, the, can't get a dog anywhere, uh, but that's a time for, uh, story for another time. One thing I want to wrap up on here is, you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, Victor, the lost tape. I Googled it. I found it. It's a video of Victor 28 years ago with her, a mustache, a double-breasted suit. And this is amazing. And I'm gonna do some editing on this episode, and for everyone listening and watching, you're gonna hear it right now.
1: Hello, postmaster. Yes. When you called me Sunday to talk about my icebreaker, you know, I thought about maybe inundating you with facts about my life, which I thought were pretty much everybody has a sad story about how they grew up poor, and all that good stuff. A little quick story. Yes, from Chicago, poor neighborhood. My mother earned about eleven thousand dollars a year. My father was about thirteen. Puerto well, Rico came over in 1940. Uh, the neighborhood we grew was kind of it was it was truly a Spanish barrio. It was kind of you know a little underprivileged, but nonetheless, I had a great childhood. I mean, only there could you pick through the garbage and find nice toys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will
0: admit that today. So there we have it. There's Victor looking like an absolute legend 28 years ago. Victor, how old were you approximately then?
1: Let me see. That had to be like 93, so 30 years old, I think.
0: Yeah. It's, so it's, he was
1: 20, no, it has to be younger than that, so 28. Was it, is it that long, 28? No. Man, it, yeah, I guess so. So I had to be about, yeah, maybe... Got about twenty eight years old. Because it's amazing. Because
0: you sound exactly the same, just slightly like s- softer spoken. Obviously, you're learning, the, <sighs> learning the craft, and you've had years of of, uh, of refining it since then. But right. oh, it, it was it was a beautiful moment watching that, Victor. I watched it this morning.
1: <laughs> it's funny because I've had people watch that. I think I told you this, right? I've had people watch that. And goes, man, you were really a horrible speaker yeah. <laughs> back in the day. I'm motivated. I'm inspired by that. So. <laughs> Anyway, check it out. It's on YouTube. Thanks, Will. Amazing I stuff. owe you
0: one. Well, we'll wrap up we'll with this. A few takeaways. My takeaway is very quick. 2020, the deals I'm doing right now, it's basically done. The deals that I'm doing for sponsorships and training and things, and hopefully this will relate to other people and other markets, it's all coming out of uh, Q1 2021 budget and everything's being pushed back to that. So I don't know if your kind of experience in the marketplace at the moment mirrors that, Victor, but I think it's time for the audience, myself, um, to... High up loose ends in 2020, pull in as much as we possibly can, and then start setting our sights uh, to a, to a, hopefully a, a more, far more productive and, and less messing around in, in 2021. I'm looking forward to 2021.
1: Let's just get rid of this 2020 already. Uh, we're looking to get past the elections right here in the US, so that'll be great when we get past that. And then I think we'll begin to get back to some semblance of normalcy. I don't know what that'll look like, but I'm hoping the vaccines come out you know, people have been, you know, an optimistic move where the year kicks off and I'm hoping that we hit the first quarter with the big bang like we did, you know, this past quarter. Amazing stuff.
0: So, have you got a takeaway to share this week?
1: My big takeaway this week is I've been reflecting. This is my big takeaway. You know, uh, on, you know, we talk about creating content just like this and I've been reflecting on, you know, in 2021, what type of content would I like to create? that I think would be, let's say, a notch above of what I'm currently doing. And that's kind of what I'm going through right now. That's my big takeaway this week. I go, I need to come up with something that's a little bit of cut above. Whether it's production, whether it's content, you know what I'm talking about. You start, you said, okay, what can I do differently to kind of up my game?
0: So that's, what I'm, that, that's my big takeaway this week. Amazing stuff. Well, a tease there from Victor of some big plans yes. that I know he's got lined up for us all. Because I consume your content as well. I appreciate it. And with that, Victor, we'll wrap things up there. And I'll speak to you again this time next week on This Week in Sales.